If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 4. That's where we're going to be. 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 7. While you're turning there, uh, I want to share something with you. Uh, When I was a young teenager, anybody grow up in the 90s? Okay, all right. This might resonate with you a little bit more. Um, When I was a young teenager, I was really, really into something, like really big time. Uh, Do you know what it was? You grew up in the 90s, when I say you're going to say, oh, yeah, of course, skateboarding. My son knows that, (laughs) and he thinks I'm the best skateboarder in the world. I have news for you. That's not true. I loved it so much, like loved it. I loved being around skateboarding. I loved wearing skateboarding clothes. I loved looking at the uh, CCS magazine. Anybody? It was like a legit big catalog for skateboarding and, and all things skating. And I did it right up here in this classroom because I went to Faith Christian when it was in this building. And I would hide my CCS magazine behind my English book so Miss Linker couldn't see what I was doing. But you know what? She knew what I was doing. Every time. I loved going to the skate park. Anybody remember when the skate park down here, like you're going downtown on Sunset, opened? Anybody? Oh, John does. Me and John, Mike. I was there for the grand opening. Big deal. I was so excited. I loved playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Anybody? No? Okay. Skateboarding was a massive part of my life. Huge. If you'd asked me if I was a skateboarder, I would have said yes. Then do you know what I would have done? I would have hoped and prayed that you would not ask me to do something on my skateboard. You know why? Because I actually was a really, really bad skateboarder. I was not good at it. I was horrible at it. Uh, I think I may have landed a kickflip one time in the grass and then fell. I was not good at it. I was good at making you think I was good at it. Anybody else that way? When I was in school, we had a word for people who had all the stuff played all the games, hung out with the people who were the real deal, but who they themselves were not the real deal. Do you know what the word was? Anybody? Poser. You're a poser. Jonathan said that. Poser. I'm telling you this, not so you can know more about me, because that's not really interesting. You're like, I thought it was going to be a climactic story where you did this cool, no, none of that. But I'm telling you this as a warning. Sometimes in the Christian life, we can have all the right stuff, we can wear the right clothes, read the right books, have all the information, say the right things, and be really good at getting people to think we're following Jesus, but not actually good at following Jesus. With that said, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let's pray together. Father, we pray in Jesus' name 
that you would open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts to hear what you'd have to say to us today for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Christian life, sometimes it's actually uh, easy to do everything except for actually following Jesus. Following and becoming like Jesus takes, are you ready? I'm going to address what's going to come to some of your minds in just a minute. It takes real effort. It takes discipline. It takes hard work. And if I was going to summarize all those things, I'd say like this. It takes your life. It takes, as the passage we just read says, training. So why do we need to train ourselves for godliness? For some reason, we have come to understand everything in life except for following Jesus as requiring discipline, effort, endurance, and hard work. Anybody in here have something that you started doing a long time ago that over the years, because of hard work, you've become proficient at that thing? For real? Anybody? Anybody play music? Anybody as good as you are now when you first started playing? No. Anybody in here good at anything? It's okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I know you all are. Just try to be humble. I get it. But sometimes it takes a lifetime to master something or to become like somebody. It takes effort. It takes hard work. It takes diligence. It takes endurance. And we understand that for some reason about everything else in our life. If you want to play music, you know what you have to do? This is what people always say. I used to work at GNC. Can you believe that? And people would come into GNC and say, I want to, picture Jay Cutler, Mr. Olympia on the wall, and people would come in and say, I want to, I want to work out, but I don't want to look like this guy. And I would always say, don't worry, you'll never look like that guy in a million years. You know why? Because he has put in decades of work. Or you listen to somebody, a musician, or watch a particular basketball player or baseball player take your pick on, on TV. And you'll say, oh, I want to do that. I want to, be, I want to play like that guy. You say, well, you better give up your life. Devote your life to being able to do this. But for some reason, when it comes to following Jesus, we don't think this way. It's as if we think when we become uh, born again, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you hear me say that and you think, that sounds kind of weird. That's what Jesus says in John 3. He's talking to Nicodemus and he says, hey, when God radically changes your life, when he comes in by the work of the Holy Spirit and does something in your heart, he actually calls it being born again. So that's what we, that's what means to be, become a Christian, to become a new creation. But we think that when we're born again, we are automatically like Jesus. Here's one thing that we got to, I, I need you to know this before we go any farther, because there are some temptations that you're going to be tempted to think, but I, you got you to know this. God has not given you his Holy Spirit to preclude you from needing to train for godliness. Some reason we think that. We think, when I become a Christian, the Holy Spirit abides in me, resides in me, seals me, fills me up, and so I don't have to do anything. I just somehow will become like Jesus without any effort. And you need to know that's not true. The Holy Spirit will not make you like Jesus apart from your effort to walk as he walked. Won't happen. So if you missed what I just said, 
something's going to happen in you. Something's going to rise up, and there's, some of these things overlap, but you're gonna, one of a, of a few things will happen. Number one, you might think I'm being legalistic. Legalism means that you are made right with God by what you do. Now, I need you to know, I'm not saying that. You are not brought into right relationship based on what you do. We are good Protestants. Anybody know what happened 506 years ago? Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg. And he was, that was the kind of the kickoff, so to speak, of the formal Protestant Reformation. Do you know what the whole Protestant Reformation uh, was about? Salvation by, here are the five solos of the Reformation. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Anybody? Anybody say amen to that? Amen. But if you're hearing what I'm saying and what Paul is telling Timothy and what Jesus is saying, you'll understand that this is not talking about our justification, our legal standing before God, being brought back into right relationship with Him based on the finished work of Christ. That is His work alone. Alone. You contribute to your salvation the sin that makes it necessary, and that's it. But in the pursuit of everlasting joy, of truly becoming like Jesus, it takes effort. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. I know I do. Grace is opposed to earning, but it enables effort. And if we get those conflated and confused, we will not become like Jesus. And we'll all the way say, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Grace is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. So you might think I'm being legalistic. Hopefully you don't think that. Or you might despair. There's overlap here. We're actually told in the Scriptures that we need to train ourselves to become like Jesus. Who in the world can become like Jesus, you might say? Who can actually be like Jesus? Training yourself for godliness to become like Jesus can be despairing if you don't understand that this is a gift from God for His child, not a requirement of God to become His child. This is really important. And this is where all of us, every day, uh, I do want to show this picture. Yeah, Sam, this is what I woke up to this morning. Isn't that beautiful? And I thought to myself, I, don't, I, I told Pastor William, I don't really know why I'm showing this. I just feel like I had to because it's so beautiful. His mercies are new every morning. But you know what can also happen every, every morning if you're not careful? You can wake up a renewed legalist. I have to earn my way back into right relationship with God today. I have to do A, B, C, D, and, and, and D, and so on and so forth. And God in his kindness, because listen to what's going on outside right now. This was like a couple hours ago. Beautiful. And now it's storming outside. I didn't see that, that one coming. I don't know if you did. We can become legalistic. You can take that off, Sam. <laughs> Becoming like Jesus can be dis- despairing. Like you get to a point to where you feel like Pastor Brandon's done this, used this illustration before with a treadmill. And you can feel like you are on a never, ever ending 
treadmill where you are constantly saying, I have to keep going, I have to keep going, I have to keep going, I have to earn this, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do A, B, and C, because if I stop, I'm no longer in right relationship with God. And you need to hear that is not true. In all kindness and all humility, but as truthful and as gracious as I can be, you are not saved by anything you contribute. Becoming like Jesus, training in righteousness, is a gift from God for his child. It is not a requirement of God to become his child. Finally, here, you could be, think I'm being legalistic, you might despair, or you might even buy into the lie that Jesus doesn't actually desire you to become like him. Or even if he does, it's not possible. This side of heaven. Anybody ever uh, say this kind of, well, I'm only human? You ever hear somebody say, well, that's just the way that person is? Here's what we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop saying that. If a person is walking in habitual, unrepentant sin, it is not okay to say, if that person is a Christian and following Jesus, that's just the way they are. Jesus has ransomed and redeemed you to change, to become more like him, to train yourself for godliness such that you become more like him as you live your life, not to become a child of God, but as a child of God. The fact that you cannot pursue Christ-likeness is a lie from the enemy. And he knows that if he cannot steal your salvation, which he cannot, that he can steal your joy. Anybody ever been there? Your joy's gone. That might be where you are right, right now. Maybe you came here this morning and, you th- and you're thinking to yourself, I have no joy. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I will ask you to examine your own heart. And, and just ask yourself, man, there was joy in my heart at some point in the past. And recently it's just gone. This is a lie from the enemy. It is precisely, uh, that's what happens here when we believe this lie. Jesus desires for you to have joy unending. And the way we experience joy is becoming like him. Do you know what Paul rebuked the church at Corinth for in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3? Let's just listen to this. If somebody said this to you, I want you to just think about what you would say. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Listen, this is important. Red flag. Listen. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What if somebody said to you, and you, somebody who looked at you, and they were uh, uh, maybe farther along in their faith, and they said to you, you just add, stop it. You're just acting like a human being. Stop. That's actually precluding you from being fed uh, solid food. So when we say, well, I'm, I just, I'm just a human being. It's just the way that I am. And when I get to heaven... God will sanctify, he will purge that out of me. And we'd say, God's grace to you in this life, 
The gift of God, eternal life, becoming like Jesus, is for the life to come. It's also for this life now. We can become more like Jesus. So legalism, despair, or idealism, but it's not possible. So why do we train ourselves for godliness? Listen again, 1 Timothy 4.8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is a big question. The answer to the question is for joy. For your joy. Anybody in here want to be less like Jesus? Even if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you probably are thinking, Jesus is a pretty good guy. He, uh, he's, he's admirable. There's something about him that draws me in. How many of us spend more time at the gym than we do training ourselves for godliness? Training our bodies only has a promise for this life and only a part of this life because guess what? Everybody in this room, apart from the return of Jesus, before we die, we're all going to die. But godliness has a promise for this life and the life to come. So what does it mean to train for godliness? Take a few minutes. Just think through this. What do you build your life around? I'm going to give you like 30 seconds. I just really want you to think about this. What do, you, what do you build your life around? If you think through your day, a normal day, Monday morning, wake up, get ready for work, or take the kids to school, or whatever, I just want you to think through your day. I'm just going to give you a few seconds. Think about it. Here's what I hope you didn't do. I hope you didn't answer with what you want to be true, but with what actually is true. Here's one way that you can find out the answer to this question in one particular area of your life. Do you have screen time on your phone? If you don't, you need to download it and brace yourself. Because I did this a couple of months ago and found out that I was spending... It was like an hour and a half on my phone a day. And you might say, that sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. But I bet if you put that on your phone or your iPad or your computer and considered how much time you're actually spending on a device, it would astonish you. Now, another question. What do you build your life around? Hobbies, family, job, education, uh, Whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Now, what did Jesus build his life around? I love that sound so much. Anybody else? I love thunderstorms so much. Listen to these passages. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Listen to this. We're talking about Jesus, the one we are pursuing, the one we are desiring to become more like. Listen to what he did. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he, anybody? Prayed. He prayed. Solitude and prayer. Consider your life for a minute. When you thought about what your life is built around, did those two words come up? Solitude and prayer. Or was it chaos and confusion? 
Listen to this one. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the understatement of all time, he was hungry. Again, think about in your life. What marks your life? What marks the life of Jesus? Were prayer, solitude, and fasting, did those come up when you were thinking in your mind what you give your life to? Matthew 4, if you remember later on, he's in the, he goes in the wilderness and the temptation of Jesus in response to Satan. What does Jesus do over and over and over again? He quotes scripture. That means he read, he studied, and he memorized the scriptures. And then this is one of my favorites. In Matthew 26, 30, before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So just think about it for a second. What do you build your life around? Wow. (laughs) If you weren't listening before, listen now. What do you build your life around? Jesus built his life around solitude, prayer, fasting, studying the scriptures, and singing. Did any of those come up when you were thinking about what you build your life around? You may think that being being a Christian means primarily being concerned with what you're doing on Sunday morning. Right now, I'm coming to church on Sunday morning. The scriptures tell us that God is just as concerned about what you do tomorrow morning before the sun comes up as he is about what you're doing right now. See, for some reason, we've come to think what it means to be a sincere follower of Jesus is to only believe that Jesus did all these things. So we read the Bible and we say, yeah, he fought the enemy in the wilderness. He fasted. He prayed. We affirm all these things in our mind, and we've come to think what it means to be a Christian is to know simply that Jesus did all these things. But what if we read the Scriptures just as much looking for what we should believe, we look for what we should be doing? Man, it's an intense thunderstorm. Can you guys, can y'all hear me okay? Okay, all right. When the temptation was the greatest for Jesus to abandon his mission. When was that? It was in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. It's important for you to know that in that moment, we sing this often, the cup was not removed, he drank it all. Should you know that? Is it important for you to know? Absolutely. But what did Jesus do when he faced the greatest suffering and temptation of his life? He fell to his knees and prayed. Why why do we think that we don't need to do that? When the perfect son of God when he was faced with the greatest suffering and temptation of his life, hit his knees and cried out to his father. How many of you at some point in your life, uh, you might be wearing one now, wore a what would Jesus do bracelet? Man, I need to get some better questions. A few people, okay, all right. This is a good question to ask. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have, I wore it my whole childhood. But another great, great question we really need to ask is, what did Jesus do? So, so Sam, my son, seven years old, awesome, has been playing baseball for a while now. Can you guys still hear me okay? Is it, can everybody hear me? All right, okay. Jacob's in the very back and he can hear me. Just like the opening illustration about skateboarding, somebody has a favorite ball player and did everything like that ball player. So think about this. Uh, I don't know anything about baseball, 
and I had to look up some baseball players on Google last night. But what if you had a favorite baseball player, and you know, before this guy hits, he walks up to the home plate, and he hits his bat against his shoes. So you do that. You want to play like this guy. So you're going to do that. You see what kind of cleats he's got on. You wear cleats in baseball. Yes, you wear cleats in baseball. So you go out and you buy the same cleats that this guy's got on. You see what kind of glove he's got. So you go buy the same kind of glove he's got. And the list goes on. He doesn't wash his jersey before a game. So you don't wash your jersey before a game. If you only try to play the game like the person you want to be like, guess what? You'll never become like that person. What makes a, a person, what, what constitutes what a person is made up of is the million small moments that nobody ever sees and that don't have anything to do with the game. Diet, exercise, sleep, all those things, the things that are not exciting, that if you were seeing, you would say, that's not exciting, I want to, I want to watch the game. But all these things matter. And trying to be like Jesus in the moment when you're faced with some incredible situation without having done what Jesus did when nobody was around is a recipe for despair. Despair. When you come up against some really difficult situation in your life and you have not trained yourself for godliness and you hear somebody say, just do what Jesus would do. That would be like me walking out onto the baseball field. I don't know who this guy is. If anybody does, you can tell me. But I typed in best pitchers in the MLB, and this guy's name came up. I walk up to the pitcher's mound, never touched a baseball before or a glove, and I say, what am I supposed to do here? And somebody says, well, just pitch like Evan Phillips. Is that right? Does anybody know? He's a good baseball player. I did find that out. Just pitch like Evan Phillips. And I would say, you know what that would do to me? I can't do that. Why can't I do that? Because I haven't done what was required to be able to play like Evan Phillips. I haven't spent the time, the moments, the million unseen moments doing what Evan Phillips has done. I have not given my life to being one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. The only way we'll be able to be like Jesus at any moment is if we seek to train ourselves to be like Jesus at every moment. I'm going to say that again because it's important. Get legalism out of your head. This is not legalism. I'm not saying this is how you're saved. I'm saying this is how you have joy. There's a difference. The only way you'll be able to be like Jesus at any moment is if we seek to train ourselves to be like Jesus at every moment. And you might say, that's too hard. Jesus said, the gate is narrow. The way is hard, but it leads to life. It is hard. It is difficult. That's why Jesus invites you. Come get, in the, come get in the yoke with me. I'll show you how to do this. You can't do it on your own. But you can get in the yoke with me and I'll show you how to do it. So I would ask you, and I would ask myself, when is the last time you rose early in the morning to pray? When is the last time you really studied the Word of God? When is the last time you fasted? The demand to do what Jesus did in these big moments described in the Gospels without the invitation to live like Jesus in the hidden moments of your life is an invitation to despair, not to joy. And just to reiterate from earlier, when we talked about legalism, Paul's instructions to Timothy to train for godliness, if not understood rightly, can sound like a checklist to make us right with God at worst or just busying ourselves at best. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, you're just giving me more stuff to do. Anybody feel like your plate's already full? 
I know we do. Something about the last couple of years kind of amplified all that. I know you got a full plate. I don't I might not even know you, but I know that you're busy. That's what, that's what our lives are, busyness. And you might hear me saying this and think to yourself, I don't have time to do all that. I have to do X, Y, Z, kids to school, job to work, uh, hobbies to, to, to do, places to go, people to see, relationships to cultivate. I shared this, this illustration with the Young Adults Wednesday night because I think it's really helpful. What happens if you're riding a bike and you start to look at the pedals and take your eyes off your destination? One word rhymes with mall. You fall. If you've ever been riding a bike and you take your eyes off of where you're heading and you look down at your feet, guess what? You're going to fall down. For sure. You'll do it once. If you look down at the ground, you you will fall. Wherever you are looking is where you tend to end up. Listen, this is why Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And while the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Wherever you are looking is where you will tend to end up. So if you look at the ground, that's where you end up. The bike and the ground are not the destination. They are intended to take you to the destination. Or a car. I've done this before. I did it last weekend because we were traveling to go see friends in Ohio. And I did it for about one second and realized if I don't stop this, I'm going to have a wreck. You know what it was? I started to look at the windshield instead of through the windshield. You ever do this? Like you're driving down the road and like a piece of dirt hits your windshield and you kind of stuns you a little bit and you kind of go nearsighted all of a sudden and you start to say, well, what was that just hit my windshield? And pretty soon you, you're not looking at the road. You know why this is a problem? Because the windshield was not intended to look at, it was intended to look through. The pedals are not, and the ground are not the destination. They take you to the destination. The windshield is not something you look at, it is something you look through. In the same way, the disciplines, this training to become like Jesus, is required to become more like Him, are not another checklist of things to do. They are tools given to us by God to turn us into a particular type of person. A person who walks in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A person who regularly, habitually, without fail, is walking in fellowship with God. So if you're hearing me say these things and you're thinking, that's just more stuff to do. You've misunderstood the purpose of those things. Just like you misunderstood the purpose of the pedals or you misunderstood the purpose of the windshield. They're not intended to be the ends. They're intended to be means to get you to the end. And if you get up and you read your Bible and you say, I read my Bible, check. I fasted, oh, made it through, check. Instead of seeing what God is doing in the midst of the training, he's shaping, forming by his Holy Spirit, empowering you to become more like Jesus. So what does it mean to train for godliness? It means in the seen and the unseen areas of life, discipline yourself to be more like Jesus. This is important for your joy. Again, there's not a person in this room who wouldn't want to be more like Jesus. At least we think that. We put in situations Jesus would put in, we might, it might be harder to 
to think through that. But we would also we want to be more like Jesus. God, in his infinite wisdom, has given us his Holy Spirit, who again doesn't preclude us from training for godliness, but empowers us to train ourselves for godliness for this present life and also for the life to come. Praise God for his infinite wisdom and his grace to give us exactly what we need. That's what Peter says when he's writing in his letters. He says, God's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. To pursue being like Jesus. God has given that to us, but we have to take it and appropriate it. Not in order to become his children, but as his children, we take these things so that we can, for his glory and our joy, become more like Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray and we'll sing together. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Our King, our Savior, our Lord, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Holy One of God, who lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we deserve to die so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to you. He was raised on the third day, raised for our justification. We have died to self and been raised to newness of life with King Jesus. And we've been called to walk as he walked. To live in a way that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. To train ourselves for godliness. Not to become your children, but as your children. You're a good father who gives good gifts to your children. And you and your infinite wisdom have given us your Holy Spirit uh, not to keep us from becoming like Jesus, but to empower us to become like him. So God, I pray for everybody in this room today. I pray that we would consider what we're building our lives around. God, I pray if, there's, if, if we're building our lives around anything uh, other than what Jesus built his life around, that you would, by your grace, empower us to put those things to death Hebrews 12, to lay aside every weight and sin. Some things are not sinful, but they just need to be put aside because they're just too heavy. We can't carry them. Give us grace to pursue being like Jesus for your glory, our joy, and the salvation of the world. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.